This AfriCast is sponsored by Crucial. Crucial P2 and P5 Plus SSDs offer uncompromised performance for your desktop or notebook. With blazing fast speeds starting at 2,400 megabits per second, you can upgrade your aging tech with one purchase. To find out more, head to Take A Lot and search for Crucial. And welcome to another edition of the Africast. My name is Brendan Lotz, and joining me as always is Clint Matos. Hello again, everybody. And Robin Lichetti. Howdy. Um, I'm not going to ask you guys how the week is, because it's been a rough one for me, so I don't really want to talk about it. Um, are you guys excited for the weekend, though? Yes. Uh, the week should end. I, I say this every week. I'm like, oh, what a tough week. I can't wait for it to end. And you know, you ask me the same question next week and I repeat the same thing. So I'm looking forward to the weekend. Uh, this week needs to end. Uh, I do just want to ask, have you guys watched Obi-Wan on Disney Plus yet? Obi-Wan Kenobi. I, I have indeed. What did you think of it, Clinton? Uh, it's uh, not great. What? <laughs> okay. Let, I saw, I saw on Twitter. I saw on Twitter you were, it was either you or somebody else. I, I think you said you can't like it. And I tweeted a few days before. I was like, this is uh, this is pretty bad. I'm, uh, I haven't tweeted about it, so it must mean somebody else, but I did quite uh, enjoy okay, it. No, I'm, I'm getting just, you confused. Yeah. I'm a sucker for Ewan McGregor. But anyway, let's stop talking about that because that has no bearing on today's podcast. Uh, Clinton, there was a new Pokemon trailer that was revealed this week. Oh, I have to continue being the, uh, the negative person of the podcast because <laughs> there is a new trailer for Pokemon Scarlet and Pokemon Violet and man, it looks rough. Um, Brendan, sorry, just you you edited the story of mine, if I'm not mistaken. Did you watch this trailer? Uh, I did. Um, As somebody who isn't a Pokemon fan, can you agree that this looks extraordinarily bad? It, oh, looks, okay. it, it looks, looks rough. It looks like an old Pokemon game, like something from the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, jeez. I, I was going to say the early 2000s. No, you right? I'm just going straight for the, the 90s. early 90s. Or the, the late 90s. I'll Man. Be, I'll be kind. I can't believe how rough it looks. Uh, the entire Nintendo Switch generation of um, Pokemon has just not looked great. And I don't want to hear people saying, oh, it's because of the hardware or whatever. We've had good-looking games on the Switch. Um, Breath of the Wild, it was launch title for the console, and it looked good. And you have this game, like, five years later that still looks bad. Anyway, the first thing you see in this trailer is that it, it looks really bad, and the frame rate is horrible. I'm a bit shocked that they put in sections of this trailer, which is obviously gameplay. And, and you might say, oh, at least they're using gameplay. Not really, and I'll get to that in a second, but... The, the frame rate is so bad, at one point they're showing a Pokemon at the um, 30 second mark, and the trailer turns into a slideshow. I'm, I'm kind of shocked that they put this trailer out. It has not made me want to buy the game. Um, and the reason I say it is gameplay but it isn't is because most of the trailer is gameplay and it looks pretty rough. And then in the last like 10 seconds of the trailer, they show pre-rendered like advert i'm pretty sure it's not a cutscene. there's no way they would put that in the game but it it's an advert that shows off the two box legendaries so box legendaries are just the pokemon that go on the boxes of the game they are called oh my god Coridon and muridon i don't know how you pronounce that because no one in the world has said it to me yet um and the pre-rendered cutscene looks great they're like, oh, this is this is so cool. We have the technology to make games that look like this now, but um, Pokemon Scarlet and Pokemon Violet are not going to be those games. So 
it was a short trailer. We just saw more of the game. We saw the box legendary revealed. But I think the biggest news out of this is the release date, which is 18th of November. We knew it was coming out in the second half of this year. Um, back in February, when we got the first trailer, which also didn't look that great, they did tell us it was going to be towards the end of the year. So this date isn't too surprising. What is surprising is the breakout star of this um, trailer, LeChonk. That's not me making up a word. There is a Pokemon in this trailer. It is a pig and it is named LeChonk. And is it the best name of a fictional character ever? Probably. Um, what, what's great about this is that the name is actually based on the word LeChon, which is basically a roast pig in some parts of Asia and some parts of uh, um, the Americas. So they just took LeChon and then added the word Chonk to it, which is hilarious. And I just want to point everybody toward the story I wrote. And as always, we'll have links to all the stories we mentioned in this podcast. There have been so many pieces of art. Um, the one piece I linked to, uh, it's the second tweet we linked to in the story. Um, this person got this piece of art out in 30 minutes after the trailer came out, Damn. which is insane. Um, at the time we're recording this, it's been like a day since the trailer came out, and there's already hundreds of pieces of art for this Pokemon. It's just a cute little pig named Lechon, and it's a bit chonky. And that's the best thing out of the game so far. It just proves again that there's a massive disconnect somewhere in Game Freak, which is the developer of Pokemon, between the art direction, which is great, and the gameplay, which... Ugh. Anyway, um, that's Pokemon Scarlet and Pokemon Violet. I'll probably play it when it comes out if I get a review copy. To be 100% honest, if I don't get a review copy, I'm almost certainly not going to play it. Um... Because it just looks so rough, and Pokemon has been on this treadmill. And as I said in this trailer, it looks like these new games will be using the same basic formula as Pokemon Legends Arceus, which did a big shake-up to the games. And I'm, I'm very worried this is just going to be Legends Arceus again, but with new Pokemon. So that's Scarlet and Violet. It looks very rough. The one shining star is LeChonk. What a great name. I'm just going to be upfront and say that I didn't know this, that Lechon was a, uh, a, a food dish. And now that I've discovered this, I would like to try it because it looks really tasty. Yeah, I, um, I, I won't lie. I did see that. Um, I can't remember exactly where. I did see it um, just from a random commenter on the internet. And I uh, I looked it up and it's yeah. there right there on Google. So. A, Again, so, it's just great design on the designer's part. Um, and then a lot of the game lets the design down. Sorry, Brendan. Yeah, no, I'm just, uh, this looks really good, this food. Um, anyway, let's stop imagining Pokemon and how they would taste. Uh, Robin, you've got some news of a new Asus ROG smartphone. Yeah, that's right. So um, as people may or may not know, Asus have been making kind of gaming-specific phones for a while now. I believe the first one came out in 2018. Uh, but for whatever reason, they haven't come to South Africa, which means that we didn't really get that too exci excited when uh, Asus made the announcement. That may change, though, next month. So uh, Asus are planning to reveal the ROG Phone 6 on the 5th of July, and we received an invite to tune into the live, the global live stream. Mm. Uh, that might seem fairly innocuous, but uh, we haven't, to my recollection anyway, 
received any invites of this nature before. No. So that potentially hints that maybe, possibly, who knows, uh, the ROG Phone 6 could become to South Africa after 5th July. We'll have to wait uh, in the, I guess, coming weeks uh, as far as Swiss's plans are concerned. Um, the, I guess there is a, a real dearth of... Um, Gaming-specific uh, mobile devices uh, available in South Africa. Um, a lot of manufacturers often tout the the functionality of their flagship phones as far as gaming is concerned, but nothing gaming-specific has ever entered the country, uh, well, at least in an official capacity anyway. So we are kind of interested to see what happens with the ROG Phone 6 if that's come to South Africa. It could be a really interesting thing for us just to be playing uh, around within the, the local kind of gaming space. Uh, they obviously have carved out a really solid niche for themselves as far as the the notebooks are concerned with their ROG uh, kind of branding. Um, but uh, the press release we received from Asus South Africa said that at the event, ROG will announce the much-anticipated ROG Phone 6 featuring the latest Qualcomm Snapdragon 8 Plus Gen 1 5G platform and a Samsung AMOLED display. When combined with exclusive ROG tuning technology, the ROG Phone 6 achieves an impressive 165Hz refresh rate introducing a new era of gaming smartphone performance and uh, giving gamers the competitive edge. Um, the, the kind of marketing spin at the end there, uh, we'll kind of ignore that, but I was just going to kind of throw it to you, to you guys. Uh, you probably play, you guys probably play a bit more mobile games than I do. Um, kind of, what are your thoughts on uh, a ROG Phone 6 coming to South Africa? Would that be something of interest to you guys? So for me, I would like to have a ROG 6 phone just because of the novelty. Although, I mean, the specs look really good. Display looks really good. Um, but what I'm more interested in than the ROG phone is uh, the Asus Zen phone series. Um, because I think those would work a little bit better in the South African market as a flagship sort of phone. Um, I mean, just looking at the specs of these things, they're all running the top end of Snapdragon's uh, silicon. Um, so I would I would hope that if uh, Asus South Africa is bringing the ROG phone, um, that maybe this opens the door for the Zen phone as well. That's just me uh, spitballing though. Um, the ROG phone would be nice, but I just, I don't know if it's really something for the South African market. You know, it's a very pricey phone. It's very expensive. Um, although mobile gaming is quite big here. So mm-hmm. uh, I, very good question, Robin. Uh, what, are you, what about yourself? Play Zero? Know, what, uh, the, Diablo, the Diablo Immortal that came out this yeah, week. Yeah, just yesterday it launched on smartphones. Did it? Yes. I had no idea. I, I'm being launch. honest. Blizzard botched the launch. It was supposed to cut release on PC and mobile today, but the PC, or the mobile version launched early. So anything I read about that game before release, aside from the whole debacle about the announcement, was that it was being banned in certain... It was not banned, sorry. It wasn't given classification and it would not be launching in certain European countries due to gambling laws. Was the Netherlands and Belgium? Yeah, I think think you're right, Brendan. Those sound very familiar. Um, So I'm a bit shocked that it's actually out. Uh, And to answer Robin's question, I actually play zero uh, mobile games. Um, I'm really not somebody who's like, oh, not real games. I'm really not that kind of guy. I just, I don't play any games on my phone. there have been times in the past where I had a, a game or two that I liked and I played them often, but I just I don't play a lot of games on my phone. So this doesn't interest me as something I would get, but it interests me in the fact that I would be happy if it comes to South Africa because I'm always happy that there's choice in the market. And if you are somebody who wants that phone and you are based in South Africa, 
and you have the deep pockets to buy it, <laughs> then I'm I'll be very happy for you. Um I'm very concerned about the price though. It's such an expensive phone mm. overseas. Yeah, well, hopefully uh, kind of more details are shared in the coming weeks. Um, I mentioned that the live global live stream is happening on 5th of July. You can tune into it. We have a story about this, and there's a link to the landing page for it. And the actual live stream itself kicks off at 2 o'clock South African time. So you can check out this really specced out and really expensive phone. Yeah. Right. Speaking of expensive, uh, if you participated in a Kalula sale this week, you're likely very angry at Kalula. That's because on on Tuesday evening, uh, Comair made a rather important announcement uh, that really should have been made earlier in the day. Uh, the operator, the airline operator, announced that it was voluntary, voluntarily suspending all Kalula and British Airway flights from Tuesday evening onwards until it was able to successfully secure additional funding. Um, while the firm's business rescue practitioners appear to believe that the capital needed to continue operations will be secured, this is of little solace to passengers who arrived at airports only to fly to find that their flights are now cancelled. Um, so, so Kalula did send out a tweet on Tuesday evening, but that tweet was subsequently deleted. We don't know why. Um, and then early on Tuesday morning, another tweet was posted with a link to uh, an announcement page. Uh, about the suspension of flights. Uh, as you might expect, uh, customers were severely irate um, at the fact that they had just bought tickets that can only be used for between 31st of uh, May and 30th of November, only to find that they can now no, no longer use those tickets. Um, so Comair, has, Comair, which is the operator of Kalula and British Airways in South Africa, uh, has said that customers have the option of receiving a travel bank credit or they can request a full refund. Unfortunately, if you want a full refund, you're going to have to send an email. You're not going to be able to use the contact center. That email address is m, so that's Mike November, contact center at comair.co.za. Um, Comair's CEO, Glenn Orsman, said, Comair is inherently a viable business. We have the two, we have the two of the best airline brands in the country. We are on track to carry over 4 million passengers this year and generate 5.3 billion in revenue. We have excellent staff, a modern fleet, good sales and distribution channels and low operating costs, which is why we believe the funding will be secured. What wasn't mentioned here, though, is the fact that uh, Comair has been in business rescue since at least 2020. Um, and yeah, uh, the Institute for Directors or Institute of Directors in South Africa um, also published a statement regarding this yesterday. Uh, they painted two scenarios, neither of which is good. Uh, either Comair was hosting a sale knowing that it was going to shut down operations, um, which would be really, really bad if that is the case. Uh, but that is an unlikely scenario simply because of the time that Comair has been in business rescue. And having a sale like this and then and then shuttering operations uh, and ha and using that sale to drum up revenue uh, is a really silly way to get yourself noticed by regulators and authorities. Uh, like they would, they are going. Bodies are going to investigate this matter. They are going to take a deeper look. And if you were doing something untoward, um, it would be really silly for you to do that. The other scenario, which is the the more likely one, but also not good, is that uh, Comair's executive board wasn't exactly sure what was going on with the day-to-day -day operations of, of the, the company, um, which is something I can understand. It's not good, but it's something that I can understand for a company as big as Comair. Um, I was just chatting to a friend about this, and 
we were saying that uh, there's times where the marketing department won't talk to, for instance, the CEO or the C-suite because it's of little consequence to them about how things are done. Um, They just want to see the final numbers go up. So, yeah, I fully suspect that there's going to be – this is not the last time we hear about Comair and this sale that went down. Um, yeah, I just don't know what the, the ramifications are. Their reputation is completely in the gutter now at the moment. Um, if you, you just have to look on their Facebook page or on their Twitter or look at their Twitter mentions to see uh, just how irate people are. Um, but, yeah, um, did you guys have any flights booked with Kalula? Uh, re- in the near future? Absolutely not. I've uh, I don't do a lot of traveling at all, <laughs> so this might be a bit rich coming from me. But I don't want to go anywhere until I know the who the the World Health Organization is like. Okay, the pandemic is officially over. Yeah. Um, people forget that it's still going on. Um, I know it's convenient to just uh, block your ears and say no, 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 no. There's no pandemic. But there's still a pandemic going on. I, I don't understand why people are just like, oh, no, there's no pandemic. So, yeah, I've uh, I've made it a point not to go anywhere until all of this is sorted out. So I don't want to say anyone who does buy tickets now did the wrong thing. Because, you know, if you buy something, you're basically making a deal mm-hmm. with that company that they'll honor the sale. Um, but I would never have bought any tickets, not just from them, but from anywhere. So... Yeah, it, but and it's like you said, Brendan, even if this is just a blip and like tomorrow they say, oh, we're we going again, it really shatters consumer confidence for your company to basically throw their hands up in the air and say, we can't operate anymore. Look, I'm pretty sure the business rescue practitioners, when they saw that the sale was happening, lost their minds. And were what are like, you guys doing? Now. What are you doing? Why are you doing this? Robin, did you have any flights booked with Comair in the near future? Not in the near future, but I did use them uh, to travel down to Cape Town with my family in December. And uh, yeah, that was quite the experience. Um, and then more recently, I traveled down to Cape Town for a conference. Um, I did not use them. Thankfully, we, I actually used Lyft. And this isn't a, this isn't a plug for Lyft, but uh, pretty good uh, compared to my experiences with, with Kalula. Well, I mean, if you want to fly down to Cape Town in the near future, you have two options now. Fly Safair and uh uh lift i suppose you can use airlink and saa but i mean they're very expensive so yeah or, or you can drive <laughs> yeah I, i'm sure no let's not no. drive because we're <laughs> going to talk segue. about why you mm. don't want to drive it's now. a segue written it is a segue, segue. it is going a, to it's the a next part one. of the story <laughs> and with that segue let's get into the crux of this uh podcast once again we want to say thank you to uh crucial for sponsoring this episode of the africast it's very much appreciated Backed by a five-year limited warranty, the Crucial P2 SSD is designed with reliability and performance in mind. With capacities of up to two terabytes, the Crucial P2 is the perfect upgrade for notebooks that need more oomph and the perfect OS drive for your new gaming PC. Crucial P2 SSDs are available right now from Take-A-Lot. Right, so this week the petrol price went up a lot. Um, The petrol price increased by 2 rand 43 cents per liter from the 1st of june um which now puts the petrol price at 23 rand 94 cents for unleaded 90 through 93 if you fill up at an inland petrol station um 
right off of the bat, let's get everybody's let, let let's get a a or a temperature test here. How do you guys feel about paying almost twenty four rand for a liter of petrol, Robin? Uh. Not good at all. Uh, I don't like paying exorbitant amount of money in the best of circumstances. Uh-huh. Uh, but I was really kind of frustrated with the way the announcement came about. I think it was predicted and kind of hinted at for at least two to three weeks before the actual announcement came. Yeah. And the announcement came on essentially the afternoon of the of the thirty first of May. So now people have to scramble to try and get to petrol stations and it's the temperature has dropped significantly people are trying to do, get as much petrol as they can um it's just going to create issues i don't know if you knew this was going to happen surely you give south africans some kind of respite and at least a little bit of buffer yeah to kind of assist that um so yeah it it could have definitely be handled better by the department of mineral resources and energy uh, i can say uh, that about pretty much anything that department touches but that's just me yeah it's just um yeah it, it could have been communicated far better than it was uh we all knew it was coming it's just yeah it sucks all around yeah clinton how did you feel? Uh, well, I, the, the words I really want to use, I'm not going to say because uh, we're a family-friendly podcast here and we don't use bad words. But it's just, it's so frustrating. I'm so tired of being frustrated. Um, I think when, I'm talk, when I talk about stuff like, oh, I think that Pokemon trailer wasn't very good and stuff like that. I, people have told me in the past that I come across as negative. Um, and I don't want to be like this. I think I'm just, I'm too, I'm too pragmatic. I always look at stuff going bad because stuff is going bad. I'm not inventing things going bad in my mind. And every time there's one of these price increases, I'm so tired. <laughs> and like Robin said, I had to go rush to go fill up my car. And the small service station near my house, there was like 30 cars packed into 10 by 10 meters. It was it was hell. And then the guy filled up my tank too much, so it leaked. And I paid probably like, 50 rand petrol that just went right on the floor oh my so goodness. it was just a horrible time altogether and it's funny well it's not funny the last time there was a big price increase i went to the same place and i got petrol and nothing went wrong and then my car died on me and i had to get a tow from the petrol station oh so goodness. every time there's a price increase i'm just like oh god um to answer your question i feel horribly about it brendan but i'm very happy and i think very lucky that I work from home, and I think work from home is going to be a big topic of this podcast, but we'll get to that later. Yeah, so, I mean, I think we'll we'll also talk about the knock-on effects of this. Even if you don't drive a vehicle, you're going to feel this uh, petrol price increase. Um, Unless, of course, you use Uber, uh, because Uber doesn't seem to... Uh, move its its fees with the petrol price, which I feel really bad about. I, it sounds like I'm being sarcastic, but the Uber drivers, I think, are going to be getting an absolutely raw deal going forward. Um, just simply, we've spoken in the past about the different pressures that they face and the issues that they face. So, yeah, I think if you are using a minibus taxi or a bus. Um, hell, even food is going to go up, but we'll chat about that in a little bit. Um, so, one of the I wrote a story earlier this week. Let, let's get into the work from home discussion because uh, I wrote a piece yesterday where I wanted to take a look at how much it would cost a South African to travel to work. Um, funny enough, that information is not very easy to come by. 
while there are surveys that are done as regards um, transport in the various provinces, a lot of the time, for example, the regional Gauteng household travel survey, uh, these surveys take distance as a matter of time rather than a matter of kilometers, which doesn't really help uh, if you're trying to figure out how much you're paying. But we did find one report from 2017, uh, which found the following distances for one-way commutes, right? So that's from home to work. So if you stay in the urban core, you're traveling on average 27.1 kilometers, uh, if you live in the suburbs, it's the same. You're traveling 27.1 kilometers. For township residents, you're traveling an average of 38.8 kilometers. And the the study that we found this in was published by the South African Transport Conference, um, and it's linked in the piece that we wrote. It's really, really, it's a fantastic piece of research. Um, it takes a look at uh, urban planning, spatial planning. Uh, it, it's just a really, really good piece of research. I, I just want to highlight that here very quickly. Um, so from there, we took a uh, Volkswagen Polo Vivo, uh, and we used that to calculate AA rates. Why did we use a Volkswagen Polo Vivo? Glad you asked. It was the second uh, most popular car sold in South Africa and the most popular passenger car sold in South Africa in 2021. The most popular car is a Toyota Hilux, just for those wondering. So using that vehicle, we got an AA rate of 3 Rand 46 per kilometer. Um, and assuming that the distance data is still relevant that we worked off of, we found that to travel just to work, an urban core and suburban resident would pay what, nearly 2,000 Rand just to get to work for the month. And township residents would spend 2,819 Rand 20 cents just to get to work. So the commute to and from work, you double that, right? Uh, and at the top end, Gauteng residents using our data could be paying as much as 5,000 Rand, uh, 5,600 Rand just to get to and from work every month. Now, if you're earning what uh, Status A says is the average salary in South Africa, which is 27,000 Rand, uh, if you are earning that, congratulations. Uh, I don't think that is actually the average salary. Yeah, uh, that and... is... Sorry, Brendan. I just want to jump in here. Yeah. That is completely blown out by like the 1% of people who yes. are earning like 100 grand a month. I'm so it's glad you mentioned BS. that. I'm so glad you mentioned that, Clinton, because if you look at uh, Status A's data... You can see that the average salary is propped up by like four or five industries um, mm. that have average salaries of over 100,000 Rand. And you can see that those are like very high performing uh, yeah. and, and very well paying positions. Sorry, Brendan, I don't want to take too much on this little tangent. Yeah. I just want to, is one of those in industries government? Uh, no, it's not. Government. Okay. It should be because, again, I don't want to derail us too much. There was a. One of the branches of government, I can't remember which one, they put out, they were hiring a secretary, right? A secretary, I don't want to put down what secretaries do. Mm. Everyone's job has their own challenges. They needed a secretary to work in one of the, uh, the like a court in Pretoria that was paying a million rand a year, an even million, right? And I'm not going to say anything here that could be um, construed as slander. But it was it was announced on Twitter, and a lot of people say, "Yes, this is somebody's friend, somebody's crony who has already got this job, and they're probably just posting this listing to meet some kind of law." So, mm. yeah, government is definitely one of those things, and all of this is just to say that I don't believe that 
that's that that yeah, so, average income is that I'm, much. Go I'm, ahead, Brendan. I'm glad that you mentioned that because two hours yesterday, I tried to find some some more feasible data because stats essays is just a basic it's we took all the numbers we divided it and that's the average um so i found bank serve africa's take-home pay index for december 2021 and there the average take-home pay average real take-home pay for south africans in december 2021 was 12,463 rand now that is pretty low but it seems more reasonable uh for what the average person is earning now, if we take the 5,638 rand and we take that 12,000 rand, you're essentially spending 45% of your salary on getting to work. Now, I looked this up and on international websites saying, how should you split your salary, right? And nowhere does it say that you should be spending 45% of your salary on getting to work. In fact, the highest number I found was 15% of your salary on transport to and from work. If you're spending more than that, you have a problem. Um, this, obviously, this is just advice, but I think that 45% of somebody's salary, if you're earning 12,000 Rand, you're driving a, a Volkswagen Polo Vivo, and you drive 38.8 kilometers to work every day, you are spending 45% of your salary just on fuel, right? A rates take into account wear and tear on the vehicle as well, um, but just on the fuel costs of getting and the running costs of getting to work, you're spending. 45% of your salary. Brendan, what sorry, again. Yeah. I want to add something that's worth to this. So the AA did take the wear and tear into account, like you said. Um, again, sorry, I didn't have, I did read your story. I didn't read the um, the, the sources that you linked to. Yeah. Do you know if that wear and tear stuff accounts for something called the one-to-one -one rule? What is that? What is the one-to-one -one rule, Clint? So it, this is less of less of a rule and more like a, an axiom, right? If you talk to any guys, uh, any guys or girls who are in the kind of um, automotive um, hobbyist section, yeah. the one-to-one -one rule is basically a built-in safety net that you should be doing with your vehicle, especially if you are very dependent on it for work. The one-to-one -one rule is basically this. For every one rand you spend on petrol, you should take another rand and put it in your pocket, in your savings account, or wherever, as a fund either for repairs or to eventually mm. replace that car. Because okay. I, I think when we discuss how much it costs to travel in a car that you are owning or renting, mm -hmm. something we don't consider is breakage and replacement. Yeah. And I think that, I don't want to say it gives people a sense of security. Everybody is a smart adult. They know that you know machines break down and need to be maintained. But this rule or this axiom or this kind of saying that has been going around for a long time a lot of people just don't forget it or they know about it and ignore it. they just have to ignore it because <laughs> if you don't have that other one rand you don't have it you can't make it magically yeah. appear um so that's something i just want to keep in mind yeah if you're saying i have to spend 45 percent of my salary to travel to work then by this rule i should also be saving 45 percent of my salary to continue driving to work. So, okay. And so then that's 90% of your salary. <laughs> let, me, let me jump in here. So the AA rates are calculated. They're made up of two figures, right? So it's the average running costs uh, rand per kilometer, which is one rand 87, and then the average fixed cost per kilometer, which is one rand 49. Mm. So 
Okay, so it does count. It does include that to a large degree. It does include okay. the 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 amount that you need to put aside. But like you say, Clinton, and if you're earning twelve thousand rand and you need to you need to get to work, um, are you really putting aside an extra one rand every time? And I think that that's that's the crux of this matter, right? Is that South Africans, we there was a there was a a, a study that was recently done saying that like eighty percent of young income earners spend 80 spend the majority of their salary within the first couple of days of the month um yeah and like i'm not i I, i'm not here to judge anybody because i understand what that is like it's you got to pay your rent you got to pay for your car you got to pay for petrol you got to pay insurance there's all these costs that add up and by the time you're done paying all your bills and being a responsible adult you've got what like enough money to get you to work every month is is yeah living so the reason I wrote this was to highlight why working from home is such an important thing that I think we need to have a discussion about as professionals in this country, right? As, as employees in this country, we need to have a discussion about uh, working from home now, an earnest discussion, because the amount we're paying for petrol is only going to get worse. It's not going to go down. Or at least not anytime soon. We have a war in the Ukraine, and that's that's already causing problems. That's only going to exacerbate as we as we go on. Um, and I just feel like asking employees to go into an office every day when we just spent two years working from home and productivity, by all accounts, was soaring. Um, why are we going back to the way things were? It's it's like this new normal thing was all just marketing speak. It was all just there to make us feel like, oh, you know what? Everybody's going through hard times right now. And now and that now. the, as you say, the pandemic is over in many people's eyes, um, although not in the eyes of the World Health Organization, uh, it seems like companies have just been like, well, business as usual. No need to adapt or, or or work differently, and I I just don't get it. I I watch and some of my friends going into an office every day, and I'm just, I answer your question, Brendan. Yeah, go for it. Okay, so the two forces that are pushing people to back into the office are higher management, uh, sorry, upper management and top management. So middle managers and the C-suite. And let me explain why each of them has a vested interest in having people drive it to work. Middle managers don't need to exist. And I'm going to make some enemies here. If anyone listens to this and sends me a, an angry letter, this don't exist anymore. Middle management does not need to exist. Middle management are paid daycare people. Uh, I don't know another way to... They don't need to be in the office, right? Most people are responsible adults who go into work and they do the work they paid for and then they go home. Middle managers are supposed to sit on people's shoulders and make sure they do their work because the people at the very top don't believe people work. They believe that what they're doing sitting in um, offices and having bougie meetings. They believe that's what real work is and everybody else is a peon. So over the pandemic, I think middle management started to realize that Hey, people are working from home. There's been lots of increased productivity. Our company's making more money and I'm not doing anything. Oh no, I'm unnecessary for the functioning of this business. So the middle management is now panicking 
because people might figure out that they don't need them, right? So that's why middle managers want people back in the office so they can pretend to be working. And if you want to argue with me with that, I don't care. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's, that's what I truly believe. And I'm saying that not to be provocative and I'm not saying that to get hate clicks or whatever. It's truly 100% what I believe. Maybe you work in some important middle management that does something extremely important and you believe that your employment should be secure. And I don't want anyone to go you know, out of business and not have a job. I think it's just a bad use of company resources. So middle management wants people in the seats to justify their jobs. And people at the top, you know, the C-suite, they want people in, in seats because they've already invested in big buildings. And that's the, that's the whole thing. <laughs> they need to justify that expense. Middle, man middle management needs to justify their paycheck and upper management needs to justify their expenditure. Those are the two, two reasons. I can say nothing else. That's it, right? Um, another thing that I also wanted to note is just ego from both sides. Um, like I said, uh, middle management and top management, they want to feel like... Uh, See, I, I don't know how to say this without uh, causing problems. <laughs> that because they're management, they inherently have power over people and they've grown to like that. And you can't really exert your power over people if they're not in front of you. So, yeah, those are the reasons. I'm, I'm going to let you guys take the floor now because I think if I keep going, I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll get myself in trouble. So, Robin, Robin what, what do you think about all of this? Yeah, have you, have you had any ch discussions with friends or family about working from home or uh, are people just going back into the office? Yeah, so um, I have chatted quite a bit actually with my family around working from home. Um, we all have, I guess, kind of different jobs that necessitate kind of different levels of having to be in the office. Uh, my sister, for example, is a lawyer, and her firm has started uh, kind of, I don't want to say mandating because technically speaking, you can't really do that. Mm. Uh, but they've kind of said that you have to be in three days a week uh, because they, like uh, Clinton alluded to, they have, they have purchased an office space that needs to be used, yeah. essentially. Um, so they kind of mandated that, um, and they potentially looking to even push that to four days. So I'm not too sure about the reasoning behind that. You'd have to speak to one of their partners or whatever. But to my mind, at least, over the past two years, uh, the, the, the law fraternity has kind of put together all these uh, mechanisms and systems in place yeah. to ensure that they can still do work remotely and, and work from home. So what's wrong with keeping that in place? It, I think it really kind of boils down to uh, Clinton's point around management being able to see what people are doing. Um, I, I know we've, we've read some kind of really uh, nefarious practices uh, where software is being used to kind of essentially monitor uh, employee screen time, yeah. um, which is really messed up. Um, and then I guess the kind of other case uh, I've chatted to my father, who kind of works in the IT industry, um, he's kind of, uh, I don't want to say loved, but he's kind of really enjoyed the fact that he's able to work remotely. Now he doesn't have to go into the office. He believes that his productivity takes almost like a 70, 75% dip mm. whenever he heads into the office outside of traveling. Um, all of, the, all of, the, of those kind of, I guess, happy distractions that are in the office 
doesn't have to worry about it. He can kind of really focus in on zero and what he needs to do because uh, he's a contractor. They're paid by the hour. They have to ensure that all their time is adequately spent. Yeah. Um, if I look at kind of our situation as as tech journalists, um, we've been kind of really fortunate that our industry almost uh, thrives on the fact that we can able to work remotely or work. Uh, from home or in a hybrid yeah. situation, we don't necessarily have to be in a physical office space. Our newsroom isn't built like that. Yeah. Um, so we've been really fortunate in that. Um, if, I, if I'm speaking, I guess, more personally, if I was looking at changing the current situation, I I would only adopt a hybrid model yeah. really for two reasons. Uh, one would be that we have a physical location mm. where hardware can be sent to our to, to our office because uh, i don't know about you guys but i really hate dealing with couriers yeah Yeah, like for example i I would be we could be recording this podcast and in the back of my head i'm thinking is someone to come to ring the gate right now i'm gonna have to deal with something so i I do enjoy that kind of little break so that's one aspect where i think a hybrid model is important and also i think just every now and then having that that kind of face-to-face interaction um I know, I can't speak for you guys, but in my experience at least, um, kind of going to events and just chatting to other journos, kind of seeing what their experiences are like and just uh, trying to remember what their faces look like. I'm not alone. I'm not alone in this world. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of like, so So I, I understand the desire for people who want to head back to the office. At the same time, I think there has to be significant evaluation as to whether it's really necessary. Like, what are the reasons mm. behind why we're doing this? Are we trying to, are we just trying to exert power or are we actually <sighs> being smart about the way we're trying to do things? So, I mean, I think I, I tend to side with you here, Robin, that I think if you're going to want people to come into an office, a hybrid solution is probably best. Um, number one, it gives employees a bit of a break from traveling into the office every day, the commute. And it's it's just nice to have a bit of extra money. Um, the other reason that I think it's it's good is, like you mentioned, Robin. I mean, sometimes it's just good to have face to face interaction, even if it's with your colleagues. I mean, I know we chat on Slack all day, um, and we have our meetings on Skype and all that sort of stuff. But it doesn't doesn't satiate that need for human interaction, you know. Um, and I think a hybrid model is probably a happy medium for employers and employees as a kind of stopgap. But I think that another thing that this pandemic has highlighted here in South Africa, and we've spoken about this before, is the connectivity gap, the technology gap that exists um, within South Africa and the various different, uh, 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 what's the words here, salary rates, best wealth wealth rates, I guess. Um, yeah. It, that that's a really big problem and i think switching to a full remote situation is not something that's possible um <clears throat> anecdotally speaking a friend of mine works for a human rights organization and while a lot of them have been able to work from home um some folks aren't able to work from home because they don't have fiber infrastructure in their area or connectivity is really poor so in that case i mean you can't deny somebody the opportunity to work simply because of where they stay. I mean, I suppose in 10 years' time, this conversation will seem very antiquated, but... Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Um, But 
I, mean, I think a hybrid system works. The other side of this is that by going remote work, and we've seen this from a lot of talking heads in the industry, is that it gives you a wider pool to access talents, especially if you're in the tech space. Um, here locally, we know that we have a skills gap and a skill shortage as regards technical and ICT skills. Uh, and by being able to broaden your field a little bit and perhaps recruit uh, coders from other countries or even just uh, coders in, or developers in other provinces may be so, so useful um, to your company and you're simply not doing it because you want people in an office five days a week? For what reason? Um, the other side of it is that some people just aren't good at working from home, right? Some people just don't have that motiva- that self-starting motivation to get going. Some um, people just prefer it. There's no, yeah. there's no like measurable reason for them to want to work uh, from the office. They just prefer it. So yeah. I, I, you know, unlike Robin, I think even you, Brennan, I'd be happy if everything was completely <laughs> work from home, online, and everything. I understand that there's benefits to some face-to-face stuff, but maybe it's because I'm too antisocial, but I'd prefer everything was online. But I I do recognize that some people are not like me and a lot of people are not like me and they would prefer to be in person. And the other thing I want to mention is that I don't want to come across as um, not considerate of other fields of work. There are some jobs where you need to be there and it's just not negotiable. Mm. Like... You need to be in a restaurant to be, um, you know, a waiter or a waitress or a cook. You need to be in the hospital to be a doctor. There are things that you need to be there for. And for those people, there is no substitute for getting in a car or getting in a taxi. Or if you're in a country that has infrastructure, a train or a bus. So while I slag off working um, in person and I champion working from home, I do want to say I'm not ignorant. I know that that is not a possibility all the time. And if your job is nice enough to give you the option, you may prefer to do it in person. Mm. So I uh, just wanted to touch on very quickly the uh, the possible unseen effects of the petrol price increasing. Um, I think the major one is going to be food. Uh, so a lot of our transport infrastructure in South Africa is based on trucks. Um, there are railway lines, but those don't seem to work. I'm not too sure how they work from a commercial standpoint, but from a like a just citizen standpoint, it, they don't do too well. Um, trains are late, trains don't arrive, trains aren't running. So a lot of our transport is handled via trucks and cold storage. And in order to get that stuff there, you need to pay for fuel and because fuel price is going up, that money needs to come from somewhere. Um, so I'm going to ask you guys a question, and it's it's probably unprepared. I should have probably asked you to prepare for this one, but with this, the bat with fuel prices going up and food food prices are uh, likely to go up as well. In fact, the cost of pretty much everything is likely to go up. Um, do we think that South Africans are going to get as fed up as they were in July last year? Robin, let's start with you. Um, or do you want me to go first? Then I'll, I'm, happy, I'm happy to field the question. Um, I just, I don't think it'll get that uh, intense or that crazy, that, that chaotic. Mm. Um, I think the, the sparks for that kind of, uh, maelstrom was, was kind of different. Yeah, um, absolutely. Absolutely. 
So I don't expect that to happen. But at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised if there is some kind of looting or there is just just pure desperation um, from a lot of South Africans. Uh, so I, I'm hoping it doesn't get to that kind of level, but it wouldn't surprise me if South Africans are kind of almost pushed to that extent. Mm. Um, I, th I think a lot of it boils down to government response and kind of almost empathy as far as what the current situation is. I saw, I, I don't know about the validity of it. Um, it was on Twitter, so you guys take it with a generous, generous heap of salt. Um, there were discussions around something happening on the 10th of June, like almost like a, a nationwide yeah. shutdown of some kind. Um, I don't see it trending at the moment on uh, Twitter, so I don't know if that was just a kind of knee-jerk reaction to the, the petrol news and the ongoing load shedding and just, just a general sense of fed-upness with the and, cold weather and, as well. And, and, yeah. yeah, it all piles up. So... I do believe that there will be some kind of backlash. Uh, my hope is simply that it doesn't get to that extent that we saw last July. Uh, but there has to be, there's a breaking point and I um, wouldn't be surprised if it happens soon. Clinton? Yeah, I agree with Robin. Um, if you see a lot of uh, economists and people in the know on talk shows and stuff like that or in interviews, they keep saying, I don't want to use the word recession or economic collapse. I don't want to be alarmist, mm. but I do want to say that there might be some bad stuff on the horizon. And what are people supposed to do except go to the streets more and more? And again, I don't want to sound too grandiose and everything here, but more and more we see the fact that governments and companies who are supposed to represent the people are no longer representing the people and they're working in their own self-interests. And eventually when you have no more food and you have no more petrol and you have nothing to do, where else do you go except to protest on the street? So this is just, again, like Robin said, you squeeze and you squeeze and you squeeze. What do you think is going to happen? Yeah. And, you know, I think we, uh, we usually try and end the podcast. We say, um, you know, what solution can we offer instead of just complaining about things? And the solution has to be that the companies and the governments who every, well, mostly the companies, they keep reporting every quarter that they're making record profits and none of those profits are going towards their workers. Yeah. They can solve all these problems. They have the money. And, you know, Brendan, I don't want to, you know, I'm not pointing out, but you said earlier that there's a war in the Ukraine and that's causing the higher petrol prices, mm. but that has been proven to be false. There is enough petrol to go around and the companies are not refining it and not offering it because they're making record profits. So it's the, the money exists to solve these problems. The resources exist to solve these problems. But until the government and the companies are have their kind of hand slapped enough until they do something, they won't do it. And again, what are we supposed to do except go to the streets? So yeah. Yeah, what, uh, again, I don't want to sound alarmist. I don't want to sound like I got the tin for your hat on, but the people who are much smarter than me are saying these things, and I, I didn't form this opinion on my own. I, you know, I read the news for a living. <laughs> I'm aware of all this stuff, and when the experts keep saying something bad's on the horizon, I, I can't do anything but agree from reading all of their, their work and coming to a conclusion on my own as well. So... I'm very 
I'm not looking forward to the next few years. Um, yeah, I'm not very optimistic about the state of the world. And petrol has always been a kind of signaling flag about how everything on the planet works because, you know, it's it's the fuel of the world. It's not just stuff we put in our cars. The world runs on petrol. It It affects food. Like you said, Brennan, it affects mm. what people can do. It affects their freedom. And when I mean, it goes that, up, we have to take... Go ahead, Brennan. Beyond that, it also affects like your entertainment, right? I mean, you if you're worrying about how you're going to get to work next week, you're not going to use fuel to go out and visit friends. You're yeah. going to you're going to feather that uh, that accelerator as much as you can for the month. And yeah, I well, you guys are being very uh, reserved in in your thinkings. I I think that people are already fed up. I think that mm. South Africans have well, now reached a breaking point where. Like you mentioned, Clinton, we have load shedding. We now have fuel that's way too exorbitantly priced. Food is going to start going up. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if the cost of data suddenly shoots up as well for some reason. Yeah. Um, and I, I honestly think that South Africans have had enough. And this talk of a national shutdown on 10 June, I think it is going to happen. And I think that government is going to be left caught with its pants down once again because from where I'm sitting, it doesn't look like my government is listening to me. And I know that I'm a white dude in South Africa and maybe government shouldn't be listening to me, but I am still a citizen. I pay tax and I feel that at the very least, it should be taking the people around me into consideration, people who are worse off than me because I'm still earning a salary. I get to work from home. I'm sitting in a posi position of privilege right now, but the people who aren't and those are the people who I'm worried about are, are just just what's going to happen to them yeah something People, i want to yeah sorry i just want to interrupt you quick sorry um i just want to say that it's not just south africa you know you think when we think of other we are a third world country and i think when we think of places like america and the uk as these kind of superpowers we think they must have it so cushy over there i spend Ooh. a lot of time reading comments from those people and they have it just as bad um, especially in the UK, I don't know what happened in the UK, but something happened where all inflation. of the utilities, yeah, quote, 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 inflation, all of the utilities like electricity and gas and stuff like that, it almost doubled or something close to that. And people were posting on Reddit and Twitter and places saying, I can't afford to live. What am I supposed to do? So I just wanted to bring that up to say that. It's not just South Africans who are fed up. It's everybody. And again, it comes back to what I said earlier. Government is supposed to act in the benefit of the people, and they don't. And companies are supposed to only kind of uh, operate in the benefit of their shareholders. They hold all the cards right now. So I know that we sort of said or we alluded to the fact that there's not much we can do, but I am going to say that there is something you can do. Um, find out who the councillor is in your area. And write them a letter. Uh, try and reach out to them and have a discussion with them. Don't be angry. Don't call them names. Have a professional discussion with your counselor and say to them, these are the issues. How can I get this in front of parliament? Because at the end of these, the day, your counselors, your ward counselors are public servants. And they are there to, to feed back information from you to government, right? So... My advice is to write a letter to them. Like I said, be nice about it, right? These people are also people, right? They're not mindless drones. 
sure, we can have a discussion about corruption, but keep that in the back of your mind just for this this exercise. Speak to them. Try and try and uh, attend community uh, meetings if they happen in your area. Become an active citizen. Like, it doesn't help us to sit here and moan like we have for the last 50 minutes or so. Um, and then we're just going to sit here and do nothing about it. My goal is to go and find out who my ward councillor is and say to them, what can we do to make government aware of the problems that we face? Um, and maybe something will happen. I'm not guaranteeing anything will happen, but at least try, you know? I mean, I think we're at the point where as long as you're trying to do something, people can't really say that you're not an active citizen um, and that you're just moaning. Um, also, in the 2024 elections, vote, right? Please vote. <laughs> Please vote. Please vote for another government because the ANC has shown that it is not very good at governing us. Something I, I want to add to what Brendan says, when he says send a letter, I do think it's good to send physical letters mm -hmm. because an email is super easy to ignore. Yeah. Uh, I do it all the time. Um, bad emails. People mm -hmm. send me spam and I ignore them. Um, it's easy to ignore an email. I think a physical letter has a lot more gravitas. Again, not to be so you know, hard doity here, but that being said, it costs like seven rand to send a letter. I uh, I sent a letter for the first time in I think fifteen years. Uh, a postage stamp was almost seven rand. So that's a very expensive thing to do. Um, it may be cheaper to just call them. Um, they should have public lines open that mm -hmm. you can call and, and you can have a conversation with your you know elected official. And with just within my area, the the ward councillor is very hands-on, very willing to talk to people. And I didn't know this until I actually started speaking to them. So reach out to your ward councillor. If you are able to attend community meetings, make your voice heard. Because I think as South Africans, we kind of just like, y'all know it's fine. Y'all know it's fine. Y'all know it's fine. It's not fine anymore. We need to speak up as a nation and say this is enough. The corruption, the endless increases in prices, it's too much now. We, we've had enough. Um, Robin, you be have been quiet. Yeah. Robin, do you want to... Yeah, do you have anything what's to it add? Uh, we, we've been prattling on for a while. No, no, nothing, nothing further to add from my side. I think... Uh, no notes. <laughs> everyone's, everyone's, everyone's fully aware of the... The issues. Of the issues that are being faced. Um, yeah. Like you said, you've got to make your voice uh, heard uh, at a voting station or... I guess try and find something constructive to do mm. uh, as regards letting your your feelings be known or your issues be known. Um, I understand protesting and uh, looting and rioting uh, is a great is, is is quite cathartic for a lot of people, uh, but try to avoid that. Um, yeah. There are more constructive ways to voicing your opinion. Absolutely. If you want to take part in a shutdown protest, as long as it's peaceful, you have my support. Um, I think that's going to wrap it up from us for this week. Uh, we're sorry about the depressing podcast, but I mean, we have to talk about these issues, right? We'll do a fun one one of these days. Yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, we have to talk about these issues. It's impossible to ignore them. I know that it's not explicitly technology, um, but it's something that affects us all. Cars run on petrol. Cars are technology. Therefore, we can talk about the petrol price. You know what's funny? We didn't even mention uh, electric cars at all. Because yeah, just because what's a... the point? No, and they're also just there's there's such an impossibility in South Africa. I I don't laugh. I have a sardonic chuckle every time it's brought up as an answer to stuff like um, higher petrol prices. 
and all the Tesla bros and all the people who are driving electric cars are so rich already that they don't even, when they drove regular cars, they didn't even pay attention to the price of petrol. And now they want to lecture us that we should all go electric. It's not going to happen for many decades, my guys. It's not around the corner like Elon says, I promise you. If he but he wants everyone to go back to the office now. Yeah. Mm. I, don't, I don't want to talk about that, uh, that guy. <laughs> I had a different word to use there. I don't want to talk about that guy. I just want these people to, to come back down to the real world, come back from Mars for two seconds, and they'll realize that uh, electric cars aren't the answer right now, maybe in the future. Mm. Right. That's going to wrap it up from us. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, once again, thank you to Crucial for sponsoring. Uh, you can check out links to Crucial stuff at the bottom of this post. Uh, and yeah, from myself, Brendan Lodge, cheerio from Clintamatos. Bye, everybody. And from Robin Lee Chetty. Take care, everyone. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Cheers. The Crucial P5 Plus SSD supports the latest PCIe Gen 4 standard. This means you can spend more time doing what matters most instead of waiting for load times. Reliability is ensured through thousands of hours of Micron pre-release validation and dozens of qualification tests. When you get a Crucial P5 Plus SSD, you can rest assured that it's going to last. Shop Crucial P5 Plus SSDs with capacities of up to 2TB on takealot.com.